0: Characters of the Old Testament, of course, characters is in quotation, uh, double meaning, right? Some people, sometimes we'll, we'll go across someone who's a character, like we saw Samson, not somebody we want to be like, but he's certainly a character of the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at a couple people who we thought had deep, deep character, right? And there's a big difference between being a character and having character. Today, we're going to look at Jonah, and he's kind of a mix of the two, I think. Uh, we're probably familiar with the story of Jonah. It's a pretty, pretty famous story. So we'll look at his, his story today. Jonah comes in a time when the Israelites, actually, especially the, the northern tribes, have some, have some political power. Uh, the Assyrians who had, who had ruled over them are having some infighting. They've had some changes in leadership and they're having a little infighting for, for control and power. And so the Assyrians, who are, as history knows them, uh, are rather br- brutal people. Uh, if, you, if you read your history about the Assyrians, they're not terribly nice. Uh, when, they, when they take you as a captive, it's not going to be great. And so their power has dwindled a little bit. Now it'll come back again, but it's dwindled at this time. And Jonah is going to be sent on a mission to these people, these people who are his essentially his enemies, people who he doesn't have anything in common with, uh, doesn't, who doesn't like them. They've, they've ruled over the Israelites. None of us like being ruled over, right? That's what we're celebrating today, obviously, with Memorial Day, is those people who have fought for our freedom. No one likes having their freedom taken away. And the Israelites had experienced their freedom taken away by this group of people. So remember that as we go through the story, because if you don't know that, it just seems like Jonah's kind of a brat, really, the whole time. So we're jumping to the very beginning of the story in the book of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee... From the Lord, So Jonah is a prophet, not a missionary. He's a prophet. His job is to receive a word from God and then give that word to whoever God tells him to give it to. And, and God says, I want you to go and I want you to preach in the city of Nineveh. Now the city of Nineveh is hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I think, actually I think I read a little archaeology that actually backs that, backs that up. Probably 300,000 people or so in the city of Nineveh. And he wants you to go and preach against it. Or tell them, hey, man, you've got to change your ways or, or destruction is coming, right? I mean, that's pretty much what the prophet did. It's the reason they got killed often, right? As they came and they told you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Well, none of us really care for that, right? None of us like being told that we're wrong, but you have to be told that when you're doing something wrong, and the prophet's job was to do that. So Jonah was to go into the town to preach against it, and say, hey, you better repent, you better turn back to God, or things are going to go poorly. And Jonah, doing the mature thing, right? Says, God, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't like those people. Those people who have ruled over us, they're not good people, they're not kind people. I don't like them. Jonah says, I'm not going to do it, God. I'm not going. Some guts on Jonah's part. Not smart, it's not smart, but he has some guts, right? And saying, God, I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. I don't want those people to repent. I don't want those people to turn. I want them to be destroyed. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about them. I don't want any part of this, God. And so he gets on a boat and he flees. As if you can flee from God, right? I mean, really. I mean, you're thinking about that's not a great idea. So he, he, back, he gets on a boat, pays the fare, and he goes, I'm going as far away as I possibly can. I'm running from God's call in my life. Now, it's a dangerous thing to do is to run from what God has called you to do. And God calls us to do all kinds of different things, right? God's calling isn't just for people like me, people who are in full-time ministry. God calls us to do all kinds of things, doesn't he? Sometimes God calls you to... You're sitting there and that person knocks on the window and they're asking for change or they're asking for a dollar. Sometimes God says, hey, you're going to be the help. You're going to be the one. let go buy him something to eat. Give him that bottle of water, right? Do whatever... God calls us to do those things. God calls us to do lots of things in our lives. Maybe you feel like what you do for a living is, is God's calling on your life, and it might be. God's call can be, can be hard to understand sometimes, right, in our lives. Sometimes that when the Holy Spirit works in us, we're not quite sure. Man, is this, this is what I'm supposed to do? But God is faithful in that call. Now, for Jonah, there's no excuse, right? For us, when we go, man, I feel like the Holy Spirit's moving. I feel like I should do this. Sometimes we're not sure. Jonah, God just flat out says, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. There's no doubt about his call, right? There's no doubt about it. He says, Jonah, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to the city of Nineveh. I need you to preach against it so they'll repent and they'll turn back to me and that the city can be saved. And Jonah flat out says, no. God, I don't want to. It's dangerous to say no to God's call because he's calling us for a reason and a purpose, normally to bless other people, Right? When God calls us to do something, it's not for our own good; it's for the good of those around us. And it's 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 almost surreal for me to be here as I was thinking about this message of Jonah and the call, because I received my call to preach right here in this church. I'd been asked to work with the youth group after my freshman year of college, and I majored in youth ministry because that's what everybody majors in when you go to Bible college. So you're not quite sure what you want to do. And Nick asked me to get up here and say, hey, you get a chance to preach. And if you were here for it, I apologize. Uh, it was probably the worst sermon anyone's ever given ever in the history of sermons. I stood right over here at this pulpit, uh, terrified, right, clenching it. And it was the same pulpit, just like this. And I talked about love. I think I had seven verses, and I think I was done in like eight minutes, right? Because I, I just I had nothing for you to say. But in that moment, and it was terrible, it was bad. I had to watch it for class. Trust me, it was bad. It was videoed. I think, I'm think i sure the videotape's been destroyed by now. I don't want that getting out of anywhere. But in the moment, I knew this is what God's calling me to do. This is the call. And it had to be because it wasn't good. So it's not as if anyone said, hey, you're, you're called to do that. Trust me, no one said that. It had to have been God's call. But in that moment, I thought, man, I think, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, for those of you who've known me, I mean, I grew up in this town, and my parents are here, so you can ask them if I'm lying. I... Uh, grew up as a very shy individual. I I didn't like ordering at a restaurant. Didn't like going back to McDonald's and asking for ketchup, right? I didn't like do. I don't like doing those. I don't like being in front of people. And so to receive that call in my life was a bit ironic, right? God says, "Hey, I need you to get up in front of people and talk." I'm like, "Ah, God, are you sure, right? I'm not. I'm not feeling that. I don't. I'm not feeling that call. That's not what I like to do." And God says, "No, I, this is what I want you to do." And so I went back to Bible college and I changed my major to preaching and then the rest has been history. My point in telling you that story is that if God calls you to do something, he will enable you to do it. Because there's no reason I should stand up in front of you and talk. I don't, I don't like calling people on the phone, to be honest with you. It makes me nervous. I don't like doing that. I'd rather talk to you face-to-face. I don't like calling people on the phone. It, it I'm going to say something stupid because I'm nervous. and I fact, if you introduce yourself to me for the first time, it'll take me three times to remember your name because the first time I meet you, I'm nervous. And so you'll say your name and two seconds later, I will not know it because I'm not really, I'm just trying to get through this conversation without saying something really silly, you know? And so I was like, God, are you sure? And God says, yes, I'm sure. And so I did the best I can to follow that, to follow that calling. And Jonah is not, Right? He's not following the call, and God flat out told him, "Jonah, this is what I want you to do." And Jonah says, "No, no, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run away. Actually, not just go home. I'm gonna run away from you, as if you can run away from God." So Jonah boards this boat, and a storm hits the boat. You, this part of the story you've probably heard before. And it's a terrible storm. And they're literally getting so worried. The storm's so bad that they're worried about dying, right? I mean, the people on the boat. So everybody on the boat starts crying out to all their gods. And there's many of them, right? And they start praying, God, whatever their God's name is, save me. And whatever this God's name is, save us. And will save us, right? And, and so they decide, hey, what's, something's going on here. This isn't a normal storm. This isn't something that we would normally endure. And so they cast lots, which is like a, kind of like a way of gambling. It's, it's happened pretty frequently in the, in the Old Testament and the cast lots and whoever the lot falls on is the person that they're going to blame for this happening and it falls on Jonah and Jonah fesses up to what's going on he said well it could be my fault because I am running from God and they're all like are you really dude like you could have said that it could be my fault and he says well what are we going to do here we all don't want to die in the open seas and Jonah says well just throw me into the ocean just toss me in there it's my fault I deserve to receive the punishment. It's not your fault. So they throw him in. And you know the story, right? He's swallowed. by The Bible describes a big fish. And for three days and three nights he lives inside this fish. And in the fish, this is the prayer that Jonah utters. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I had been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up and thrown up by a fish. God hears his cry, hears his prayer, right? It's a great reminder for us that God always hears our cries, He always hears our prayers, even when we're in our disbelief and unfaithfulness, right? I mean, Jonah's literally running from God, and God rescues him. And then Jonah cries out to God, God, I, I need your saving, and what does God do? He saves them. God's faithful in that. Which is ironic, Given the, the, the mission that Jonah has been sent on, what is he supposed to do? Go to unbelieving people and tell them, hey, you've got to change your ways. His job is to help them to realize that they need to cry out to God. Yet he refuses. and Sometimes when we're unfaithful, God lets these things happen to us, doesn't he? To help us to remember what it's about. That we have always been called. God's people have always been called and always will be called to be a blessing to those around us. That's our job. It isn't just to receive blessings from God. It's to bless those that are around us. And that was Jonah's job. And he says no. And so God says, well, you're going to do it whether you like it or not. And here he is in chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Maybe he'll listen a second time, right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And you know what Jonah does this time? After the fish experience, he's probably had a little PTSD. And so he's like, okay, maybe I'll do that this time. And he does it, right? He goes. And, and to Jonah's disbelief, it works. As he preaches repentance, it takes three days to get through the city of Nineveh, because it's a pretty large city. And the people listen, and they Repent. Exactly what Jonah didn't want, remember? He doesn't like these people, guys. That's the point of this story. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't want them to repent. That's why he didn't want to go in the first place. And he, and he gives this mission, of, this, this mission of repentance that he's on, and this message of repentance, and they listen, and they do it. And in verse 10, it, tells, it says, when God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened you think jonah would be happy right his message to a, to an unbelieving population they take hold of it they believe it they turn they repent success remember i told you jonah has both character and is also a character look what happens in chapter 4 but to jonah this seemed very wrong he became angry He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall my fling to Tarsus. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's throwing a pity party for himself. That's right here. That's, That's all it is, guys. That's it. There's no way around it. He should be rejoicing because the message he had is taken and people's lives are changed and they're leaving their evil ways and and trying to chase after God. And instead of him being happy about that, which he should be, he's bummed. All because he doesn't have a heart for the people in whom he proclaimed the message to. You think about that. As people of God, our heart is always for other people, no matter how far from God they may be. It's hard and it's difficult sometimes because some people, by their actions, are very unlovable. Are they not? Some of us have maybe been there. Some of us have been some very unlovable people at times of our lives. And people who are far and far and further and further from God can be even more unlovable because they, they tend to focus on who? On themselves, right? And they don't care about how their, how their actions affect anybody around them. And those people are very hard to be around. Have you ever been around somebody who's in the throes of addiction? They're very difficult to be around, right? Because they will beg, borrow, and still they'll do anything they have to to get that next what? That next high. Those people are hard to love. But God never said loving people was going to be easy. It's not easy. And Jonah, the problem I have with Jonah is that he doesn't care about these people. And I understand that he has every reason not to. Right? He has every reason not to. They're not great people. A matter of fact, their history has painted them as a rather br- brutal group of people. They've ruled over the Israelites at certain times of history. They're going to rule over them again, believe it or not, a generation or so after Jonah lives. I understand why he does it, but that's not an excuse for us, for him or for us, to not love the people that God loves. Remember, every person is an image, is an image bearer of the divine. No matter how far they've tried to tarnish that image, and some of us go a long ways to do that, we all, inside of us, have been created in God's image, the book of Genesis tells us. Therefore, we have worth and value just because we're a human being. And I love Jonah's description, as if it's a bad thing about God, right? In verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said to you, Lord, when I was still at the home? That was why I tried to forestall my fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Those are good things about God. And Jonah's like, man, God, I wish you weren't like this. And that, that should never come out of our mouths. We are, we, are, we are excited and glad that God is a God who is gracious and he's compassionate. He's slow to get anger, angry and he abounds in love. His love... Knows no limits. Just doesn't. The story doesn't end there. Jonah throws the pity party a little longer. God replies to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? We all know the answer is what? No. If you want God's grace, how can you deny God's grace for somebody else, right? If you would like God's mercy on you and has God been merciful and gracious to Jonah? Plucked him out of the sea, didn't he? Couldn't just let him drown. You can't, we as Christians, as Jonah, you can't be upset when someone comes to know this God and receives this, this grace, no matter where they've been or what they've done. We, we should rejoice with them. The New Testament tells us that, right? Jesus tells a story about some lost things in Luke chapter 15, and when the lost things are found, what happens? They rejoice and they celebrate. We should do the same. So God asked him this question: "Is this right for you to be angry about this?" So these people have have turned to me. And look at Jonah's response. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Throw in the pity party still, and go by myself. Take my home, my my toys, and I'm going home. Right? That's what he's doing. The Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and then the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. This dude, Right? I'm not the person who normally tells you to suck it up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but Jonah's just, he's a, he's a whiner. There's no way around it. Like, dude, come on, man. Like, have some perseverance. So he goes outside the city because he's throwing a fit, right? He sits out there, and God brings this plant. You think you'd know, you'd realize that maybe this wasn't normal that this, this leafy plant grows up out of the ground and covers you in shade instantly, right? You think you'd have some suspicion. That's not normally how plants grow. God provides him with shelter, and then the next day he takes that shelter away, and what does. God said, "Well, now are you angry?" "Yeah, I'm angry. Right? This isn't right." It's like, "Well, Jonah's problem is that he can only see what? He can only see his own needs. He can only see himself." And that's God's people have never been that way. Have never been called to be that way. It's not about me. It's not about you, right? It's about it's about us. Once again, from the very beginning, God said, "You're going to be a nation My nation, as he promises Abraham, right? Your your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore for one reason. To bless the other nations. To bless those around you. And Jonah's lost the mission, hasn't he? And all he can think about is himself. And man, people who only think about themselves are really hard to be around, are they not? If it all revolves around them, eventually it'll be a party of one. What do we have with Jonah? Where is he? Outside the city, by himself. Of course he is. Nobody wants to be around him. Why would you? He wants to... He, he's sitting there in the sun, and he just sits there and goes, I just would rather die than to live. It's like, I don't know, maybe get up and walk somewhere. Like, what, what do you want? Go back into town where there's probably some shelter, right? No, he just sits there. Oh, I'd like to die. Come on, man. Like... God says, are you angry about this now? Yeah, I am. I wish, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It's like a three-year-old. It's like, dude, you're throwing a temper tantrum right now, man. Suck it up. And sometimes, we need to realize, we need to look ourselves in the mirror and go, hey, whatever this problem I'm having right now, maybe I caused it. We all know that, right? If If you don't have an annoying neighbor, you might be the annoying neighbor, right? I mean, it's, if, you don't, if, you're not, if you don't have a person in your family that when they, when they come to the family reunion, everyone rolls their eyes, you might be the person in the family, right? That everyone's rolling their eyes at. Like, at some point, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and see who we are honestly, right? Jonah needs to look himself in the mirror and go, Phew, maybe it's me. Maybe I, I've done this. Because as we've seen through the story, God has been merciful and compassionate and loving. And Jonah, has he been any of those things? He is not. He has not taken on any of the characteristics that we would expect God's people to have. He has none of them in this story. He's a matter of fact, he's really the opposite, isn't he? He's kind of a whiner. He thinks only of himself. He's angry about things he shouldn't be angry about. And the story, the story ends like this. The Lord said to him, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And the story ends. It says, you're angry about the death of a plant that I grew for you and I killed. It's my plant, God says, right? And yet you have no concern for 120,000 people in Nineveh who were facing destruction because of their evil ways and you couldn't care less about them. I mean, it's, it's really, it's a mic drop for God, isn't it? It's like, hey, what, what are you really, what's most important in this world? And remember, the hierarchy of things in this world is God, people, things. God first, people second, things third. And Anytime we mix that up, anytime we take one and we put them somewhere else, we would refer to that as idolatry, right? Taking something else and putting it in God's place. And God says to Jonah, you've taken a thing, it's a plant, and all that plant was there was for you. It gave you some comfort. And you've made that number one. You're, you're throwing such a fit over it that you're like, I'd rather just die than have to live without this plant giving me shade. And yet you could care less about 120,000 souls inside the city of Nineveh. To me, it's God telling Jonah, you need to check your priorities. What's most important? And it's a great reminder for us in our lives of what's most important. God, people, and things. When those things are in that order, life is going to be better than when those things are mixed up. And how often do we let that, especially that third one, things, creep up there? Way too high in that order. And we we let our pursuit of whatever it is whether it's fame whether it's fortune whether it's a career whether it's whatever it is whatever the object is and we all have those different objects whether it's just the accumulation of stuff we let things take the place of way more important things god and people we've all been guilty of it i am from time to time i know of letting things get control of us and we have a especially in this country where we have so much, right? We have so many things. It's the temptation is always great to let those things take the priority over the things that are most important in life. And so we have to stop ourselves, look in the mirror, and go, okay, we don't want to be like Jonah, right? The story of Jonah is a lot like the story of Samson. It's a cautionary tale, isn't it, of how we are not to be. We tell the story of, it's fun because he's in a you know, inside of a big fish, a whale, and it's a cute. But we don't want to be like Jonah. We don't want to be like Samson, who are people who can only see themselves. God is calling us to something much, much greater than that, than just a, a view of ourselves. God's calling us to bless those around us. God, people, things. And if in, any time in our life that those things get out of order, we need to stop and reevaluate there are times and other seasons in life and i understand it i've been in those seasons where you have to work overtime you have to work extra because you're just trying to put food on the table you're just trying to pay the rent i understand that i'm not saying that that's somehow evil or bad i'm not but what i'm saying is if that becomes the norm if you work the overtime not to put food on the table but because there's a toy you'd like to buy a boat a four-wheeler a new car or whatever it is and you're letting that take precedent over God and the people in your life. You need to reevaluate. Cuz those things, and I know I've joked about it lots of times, and we hold and I've done lots lots of funerals, but no one has ever hauled a U-Haul van behind the hearse to the cemetery. You can't take that stuff with you. You could try, but you're going to have to buy a lot of plots at the cemetery. It's going to cost you a lot of money to bury all that stuff next to you. And then it's just buried and it goes away like everything else. That stuff doesn't last. It's temporary. But last are those first two things, right? God and people. And so our investment must be in those, God and in people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Jonah. And it's a story that we we hear and we joke about and we tease Jonah. But it's a story that we have to pay attention to, knowing that we are all tempted to worry about ourselves and ourselves alone from time to time. We take our eyes off of you, God. We take our eyes off of those around us, the people that should be most important in our lives, and we focus on the things of life sometimes. Sometimes those things are great things, but they're just things. So help us, God, to see and to put what's first in our life, and that's you, and to put what's second in our life, people, and to put things third, knowing that they don't last and that they're not the most important things of life, that they come and they go, they break And we throw them away. But we know, God. And we see from the story that your care is always for people. That you care most about us. And So help us to do that, God. To put people first in our lives. No matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done. Help us to to view them as you view them. As people who have been created and made in your image. No matter how tarnished the image might be. knowing that they have infinite worth and value, that you love them more than anything in this world. God, we thank you for your son Jesus, who sacrificed so much, gave everything, so that we might be in a relationship with you, that our sins could be forgiven, and that we have the promise of life everlasting with you. It's in his name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.